Chris, can I ask you, do you, do you know what your values are? Yeah, I've got them written, I've got them on my phone, got them written on my wall. Courage, discipline, yep. honesty, integrity, self-love, faith. I've got this burning, insatiable desire to give impact and, and leave my gifts on people. Up until recently, I still felt as a sense of I'm giving myself away a little bit. I'm setting myself out there and I'm not putting myself first. Mm-hmm. So the moment I'm so self-love, I think is a real strong value to have, not in a selfish way. And what I'm finding is that's that's enabling me to to, to be more confident in myself. Tom Payne, welcome to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. And Steve Whale, welcome back to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. Delighted to have you both on the show. Great to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thanks for having us down. Great to be back. Thank a, you, mate. A different setup with having three of us. Um, and I'm excited to get you both on. Tom, let's start with you. Paint us a picture of your journey since school. From school to now. Okay. So from 16 onwards, I suppose I, I, I pretty much had every... Um, part-time job you can imagine from pot washer to paper round to you name it um i came from i suppose a background where my you know you just have those core working class values of you know you need to be always working and always doing something so when i was going through school i I was okay academically i wasn't the brightest but i certainly wasn't the worst but Mm. i think i fell down by just not just always working too much. I don't know whether you guys experienced the same with it, how you were, um, you were brought up, but you know, it was this always this edge to, you've got to be earning money. You've got to be constantly doing something. So mm. yeah, I had an enjoyable upbringing. I went to uni, um, I studied to be a journalist, which I, right. um, which then led me into working in recruitment, which we both worked mm-hmm. in recruitment. Didn't Absolutely. We, for, yeah. Um, and both actually worked for the same company, didn't we? Yeah. So yeah, I kind of, I, I suppose I meandered through those years from 16 to 23, not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, and like most people say, um, who have ever been in recruitment, they fell into recruitment, fell mm. into this sales world. Mm. So yeah, I suppose I would say I'd had a pretty normal upbringing in quite a small working class town in the north of England. Not much to shout about. Um, you know, the values that were instilled in me were, you know, you should always be working and having some money in your back pocket instead of, you know, kind of, I suppose, yeah, go go and get some education. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's more about experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose from that, I pretty much nearly messed my degree up. Um, right. getting a third um, okay. yeah, and having to reset a year, which was a bit, which was, mm. which was, you know, you know, shameful really in many respects, you know, I should have done, I should have done better, but you know, I suppose I was too busy working behind bars and, um, you know, at that point, at that point DJing. So, yeah, so things, I, I suppose things really changed for me when I, when I first started working in recruitment really, mm. and that was from 24. So that kind of, what you, I suppose you asked from 16 really to 23 yeah, yeah. was just about really finding my feet. Um, and then things changed when I, when I took that leap. I, I want to touch on this probably with both of you, actually. I mean, you mentioned something there in your synopsis about always needing to work hard and, um, you know, men and women work hard all the time, but as men, I think there is a, we kind of have a duty, um, and a purpose to like, go out and earn the bacon that kind of stuff and i want to talk to you about in plain terms the difficulty of of being a man or being men um i i think there's a misconception that we have it easy or easier Mm. i just want to open that out to you both um what do you think we have it easier what do you think that misconception is well i think i think um there's narrative out there that's that that you know women are disadvantaged in certain aspects of life and they are um, but I think men are the same as well in different aspects as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes men can be demonized in the wrong way or their value can be determined on their job title or what they do or how much money they make. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you're a middle-aged man, for example, and you earn 40, 50 grand, you know, you're not you're not a particularly good catch for a woman. Let's be honest about mm. about that. That's the way the society is. Yeah, yeah. Not to put numbers on it. Um, so I just wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, I mean, my experience with that, I suppose, my so the re- so how I got into being a career coach, life coach, burnout coach was my own personal experience with burnout mm. from a career in recruitment. So I was doing really well. You know, at one point I. I 
two profit centers, um, totaling an eight million pound annual turnover with 24 staff and seemingly flying high in many respects. I think I had something like seven promotions in eight years at one point. Right. So I was doing well and my next steps would have been either director or set your own recruitment business up. Mm. But I had this existential crisis where I was like, shit, what do I actually, I don't want to do this anymore, but I've got a mortgage. I've got a car on the drive. I'm paying quite a lot of money for, I've got a baby. And that for me, I, I had the bravery to put my hand up and I've got a very supporting, loving wife to say, look, I, I'm not happy. I need to change. Something isn't right here. Yeah, yeah. The stress was just overwhelming. You know, mm. the kind of, I, I was suffering from insomnia for a, for a long time as a result of the job and the pressures of the job. Mm. Now, so many men will be listening to this going, yeah, I recognize that. But I, I'm in a position where I'm the main breadwinner yeah. and I can't do anything about it. Now, if you suppress that over a long period of time, mm. number one, is that stress going to turn into burnout, which we know is, yeah. um, you know, chronic stef- stress left unmanaged. Yeah. And then on top of that, does if you if you go one step further, does that lead to depression? So certainly from a male perspective, it's it's underpinned by this responsibility to be the man, yes. and to keep bringing in the money. Like you say, you've got to be earning more than 40, 50 grand a year to attract a partner. But also, if you've got kids, you know you've got to feed them and be the rock. Mm-hmm. You know what do you do? Who do I talk to? And this is the uh, this is the problem. Men don't want to explain ex- show this weakness. Just put your hand up and say. I'm stressed out or I'm losing sleep, that mm. shows weakness. Mm. To say that I'm depressed, that shows weakness. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I think that narrative for me has to change for men. Mm. Um, and it starts with having that conversation, the bravery to have the conversation, which is a lot of the work that I do. I know Steve, you're in, involved in this as, as well. Yeah. So that for me would be the the issues really what I see with men. Because I, I see a few points there around the need to go out and earn money that automatically takes you away from the family unit, the family setup. You're spending less time with your kids, less time with your your wife potentially, um, and it's then 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 it becomes a, a sort of trap you fall into because you need to go out and earn the money, but then you're 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 removing yourself away from the the nice stuff you have at home as well. And for me, that that that's where the depression can come in because you don't feel connected at home necessarily. Mm. You don't feel like you're performing in the work environment. And I can see why there's more male suicides because not just because of that, but it's those those kind of conditions. I think that I'm not not looking for sympathy. I'm not saying that women don't have it, but I'm just I'm talking more so around the challenges there, and especially in this day and age with the cost of living as well. Mm. I, I know a lot a lot of people of our age, men and women, but men who are struggling with that that whole that whole concept, and they feel trapped in their own lives. Mm. But who do you talk to? You know. Yeah, and do you talk? It takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Men, mm. men. I, th- I think most men wait till they literally can't not talk about it to talk about it. I yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I did. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, how how under pressure do you two feel to be the last one to crack? Oh mate, you, you put on a you put on a, a on a mask or a coat of armor, and you know it's it's it's, it's not the done thing to, to show that weakness because you're you're a role model, and yeah, um, and it's unattractive. You're back. You're talking yeah. about finding a partner. Who's, you know. Yeah. And, the more salary you are, the more attractive you are. Does a woman want a guy who's crying every five minutes and crying before she does? And yeah, well, the thing is, I th- I think I think women, some women, without being too sweeping statement like, um, portray that they want a vulnerable man, but then when you become a vulnerable man, they're like, oh, you know, I don't want that. I want you to be the strong, the strong one. And I think yeah. sometimes men don't know where to stand. And I and I, I think a good woman. Um, or a good man would recognise masculine and feminine energy in their partner as, as, as a good thing. And, mm. and sometimes the woman needs to be stronger than the man and sometimes the man needs to be stronger than the woman. I don't think it necessarily has to be because we're men, we have to be stronger all the time. Yeah. I, I personally disagree with that. That comes with so much pressure. I know. <laughs> like what do you, men do you think it's down to, do you think it is down to, you know, I suppose I'm speaking with my hat on from a career coaching perspective and burnout perspective and it's usually the job that's the problem but obviously there's so many other things isn't there around you know what makes you happy is it is it wealth is it relationships breaking down Hmm. do you do you think that it's can you see that it's actually a a, a career problem in the main that where you know where there's this kind of i've lost my almost purpose and like reason for for being yeah i I don't know i think i think purpose plays a, a big part but it's almost as if i think we're educated 
to get the job, get the picket fence, get the wife, get the car, get the house, get, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. And, and then we get that. And all we're doing is having just enough disposable income to, to pay the bills, maybe go on a holiday. And it's kind of like, and then your job starts to fall down and, the, and there's recessions. And it's kind of like, oh, this is going to be my life then. You know, and I think, I'm not saying it's the same for everybody. I'm, I think I'm, I'm grateful that I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm pleased I'm not in that situation where, you know, um, everyone's different. But Let me I, ask you a question, Chris. Yeah. You, you've very publicly talked about your entire life history, right? Yeah. Right from being a little kid and, and yeah, yeah. parents lack of parenting and and, yeah. and then building up this incredible business and losing it. Where in your in your list of hardships in life, how much sense of identity, when you built this, mm. this 25 million pound yeah. business and lost it, mm. where did that sit in terms of really knocking you? Was that worse than your mum? Yeah. You? Was that, was wow. I mean... How much sense of self did you have invested in that business and how, how like everything I, I i put my whole sinew my whole self-worth my whole soul my whole life I, I i i correlated the success of my business in my life and when that was taken away from me or when i lost it mate i i, I can't really describe or try i just felt absolutely bereft and lost yeah. and like i was a worthless human being um you know, I was a millionaire at 26, 27. Um, I had all the status. I was a kind of a celebrity in my own sort of sector, big business. And that was all taken away. Um, and I was watching Judge Judy every day and, you know, not getting out of bed and for like months. I just felt like my life was over. I felt that my purpose had gone. And I, th I, just, I just thought I wouldn't be able to recover from that. So, but... When I came back onto LinkedIn and started to build myself up again, it, it kind of realized, I, I kind of like realized that I was chasing a false dream anyway. And I said this quite a lot. I got to 10 million, 15 million. Every time I got there, it didn't mean anything. Yeah. But I was associating the, the level of my, what people thought of me based on the size of my business. And it's, it was actually quite unhealthy or very unhealthy for me mm. actually to do that. So second time around. Yeah. How much sense of self honestly is invested in what you do now your job well, i th i think if i think if you met me 10 15 years ago you probably wouldn't want to be my friend i'm a, I, th I think i'm a different person and i am a different person i'm a different man um i'm still learning still growing still developing i still make mistakes but i'm a different person and i'm invested in the impact that i make and don't get me wrong i'd like to earn more money I'm doing quite well money-wise. I'm building myself up, back up and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, my wealth is myself. And I mean that wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm invested in improving myself, being the best version of myself for other people, whereas before... So my, my development, my success is, 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 is my 15, 20, 25 million. I, I'm, you know, I'm not looking for material things. I'm looking for growth and personal development. That, mm. that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Chris, can I ask you? Do you do you know what your values are? Yeah, I've got them written. I've got them on my phone. Got them written on my wall. Go on then. If I remember, try to remember now. If I'm on yeah. the spot. There's eight of the bloody <laughs> things. Written on this wall. Bloody hell! You mentioned one. Was it impact there? No. It? Well, it's courage, discipline, yep. honesty, integrity, self love. Can you put me on the bloody spot now? Discipline, um, faith, and. There's one more that I actually can't remember, but I, I changed um, empathy to self-love because I felt that was a missing trick yeah. because you might agree. I, I, I think that um, I've got this burning, insatiable desire to give impact and, and leave my gifts on people. But I feel I, up until recently, I still felt as a sense of I'm giving myself away a little bit. I'm selling myself out there and I'm not putting myself first. Mm -hmm. So the moment I'm so self-love, I think is a real strong value to have, not in a selfish way. And what I'm finding is that's that's enabling me to, to, to be more confident in myself. So they're my values. And um, I think we touched on it on one of your gigs before where most of us and businesses included, they put they slap their values on the wall or whatever it is. And they, they don't even can't even spell them. So for yeah. me, they're on my phone every day. They're on my whiteboard when I wake up. 
And uh, I, I do try my absolute best to base my decisions, my behaviors and my actions on my values. Yeah. And, and that that's what we would say. A life lived by your values, th that should equal success. Yeah, Whereas previously, mm. what may have happened if we said, what do you value? It would be the car. It would be my 15 yeah. million. It would be the, I've got a business. Yeah. And actually those things can be taken away very quickly mm. and they can change and it's what's left. Mm. And your identity is attached to these things that actually, you know, basically yeah. come and go all materials. And this is, this yeah. is a problem that most men face. I've just mm. finished um, a values coaching session with a solutions architect I've been working with for the past uh, four months. And he started a process off. He'd been working for the same company for nine years, burnt out twice before. He started the process off saying, look, I've got a therapist, I'm depressed, and I'm seeing you as my coach to get my future sorted. Yeah. In the value session, it was really interesting because he was like, I, I thought I would say my values would have been achievement and success, my number one and two. Mm. That's not right. His, his number one and two were collaboration and making a difference. Mm. And the penny dropped when he was like, yeah, I, I, if I work, if I spend my day job, job my every every do everything that i do is an intention on a day-to-day -day basis around making a difference and contributing to others yeah i'm successful yeah because i because i because I, th I think we are men are conditioned to, to think that it's not about what women like necessarily but i was always taught that women like someone who is successful someone who drives the right car mm. someone who's got ambition someone who's, who owns a business and i think that's true but i do think actually What's attractive in men and women is is these kind of traits, and I th I'm 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 pleased that maybe it's the advent of more social media stuff, but I think that um, you're either authentic or you're not, right? And I, and I and I I see people on LinkedIn and, and and you know portraying this authenticity, but I think it all comes out in the wash, and I feel I feel I feel that that when you do start living your life by your values. Then magic, magic does happen, and you start to attract that as well. So I don't know what you guys think about you, Steve, as well. You, 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 I think you asked me what my values. What are your values, and what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, my shift came when, when I burned out. I kind of burned out my first time in my twenties, and then the shift massively went from because I was at IBM, I was doing all right, and I and I was buying designer gear, and I bought. A, BMW Z3 convertible and thought yeah. I was, I can remember one thing, this is one time I really thought I'd made it. So I, I just picked up this BMW Z3 convertible, which was James Bond's car, I think. Right, okay. right. Nice yeah. car. Yeah, really nice car. Um, I was driving it through streets of South Sea, summer's days had the roof down and I stopped to let some people cross, mm. tourists, and two of them took out a camera and take, were taking pictures thought you were James Bond. James Bond. <laughs> you could pull it off, I reckon, mate. <laughs> I can see the likeness now, actually. <laughs> so, and, um, but that kind of summed me up <laughs> yeah. at that time. It was like, you know, mm. the car is me as an extension of me. Yeah. And if yeah, I've got yeah. this and you haven't got that, that means I'm more attractive to the opposite sex and it means I'm better yeah, than yeah. you. And, but when life kicks you in the bollocks, mm. you realise that that car on the drive doesn't mean a thing. Mm. Like, no. That's not, and in fact, I can remember thinking, when I first... All those years later, when I, when somebody told me to, to to try mindfulness, and I eventually tried it, kind of in secret, mm. I can remember thinking Andy Puddicombe, the guy who did Headspace, I remember thinking, I will send you all the money I've got. Didn't have loads of money, but I, thought, yeah. I will send you right, all the money right. I've got if you can give me peace again. Because guess what? The car didn't give me peace. The designer jeans didn't mm. give me peace. Mm. The nice holidays didn't give me peace. Nothing. Yeah. I couldn't buy it. You can't buy yeah. peace. Peace comes from inside you rather than. Yeah, we all seek. We're all yeah. seeking these external things. Like, if yeah. I can just get this, if I can just get that, if I can. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's almost easier in life to die thinking that than to to than to get everything. Right. If you look at the people in Hollywood mm. or anywhere around the world, yeah, they yeah. get everything materialistically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then go shit. I'm still not happy. Well, now I'm totally screwed mm. because now I've got the private jet and ten houses and fifteen cars and mm. every watch, and I'm a VIP everywhere, and I and I still don't feel peaceful in here there's still something mm. missing there's this insatiable sort of thing i'm trying to get and i can't buy it because i bought everything else mm. so you're saying even now you, you're still searching for something um not so much i don't think i think i'm much more content than i used to be i mean mm. i watched i watched a great thing on instagram the other day and it was a guy saying in some ways it sounded very depressing because he was going down the hole really imagine this is your last day on this planet yeah yeah really imagine mm -hmm. that this isn't just some flaky exercise 
really imagine that, that this is going to be the last time you, you, you smell a rose. It's going to be the last time you hug your wife. It's going to be the last time yeah. you walk your dog. It's going to be the last and he said, really try and feel that and then and and then try and live your day like it because we never do. Mm. Mm. And the people that do are the ones that have probably experienced hardship, yeah. that have really suffered. And then mm. and then the more yeah. they suffered, the more it changes their values. And I'm really glad that yeah. I went through the amount of suffering I did because it changed my values. I was a, I was a bit of a dick when I was young. I want, I want to talk about that, but I want to also want to talk about um, the word suffering because I think that well, I know that my experience of suffering has been quite widespread and quite traumatic. But every time I've suffered suffering, for want of a better term, I've always come out the other side with a massive lesson. Obviously, I've had the abandonment. I've had loads of other stuff that I don't necessarily need to repeat. But fairly recently, I had a really massive kind of heartbreak, actually. And at the time, it felt fucking awful. Um but it was one of the biggest and best lessons I've ever learned. It really forced me to look at myself. And I've got written down here on my sort of stuff, logic versus emotions. And I think we're all three of us are quite logical in some of our attributes and our thinking. But I think emotions would always trump logic. When you tune into your emotions, you start to feel this pain and this hurt and this kind of stuff. I think it that darkness brings light. I'm probably not articulating myself very well, but I think that, that that heartbreak actually at the time for two or three weeks, I was doing so much work on myself, really deep, deep, deep intrusive work. And I come out the other side and I started to really love myself. So what does that mean? You're doing work on yourself. What? It means it means that I was I was listening. I was getting up at four o'clock in the morning. I was preparing my, my, my doing training for Kilimanjaro and doing like four or five hour walks. But I had my headphones on, doing this really deep podcast stuff about love and how to love, how to be loved, how to because I've never had that. And kind of like mm. I had this kind of dawn of realization that actually I'm a really really good guy. <laughs> it sounds a bit weird. Um, I just I just I kind of got to the point where even though someone had broke my heart, um, at least I can fucking feel it. At least I can feel that shit. I, I think yeah. some people in this world don't have yeah. that, mm, that, yeah. that luxury, even well, though it's, it's horrible. Too scary to. It's too scary to. Like mm. I, when, I, when I first started feeling anxious when I was in my 20s, I didn't want to feel it. Christ, I wanted to get mm. away from it. It's almost an instinct, isn't it? It's almost like you burn your hand in a fire, but you don't put your hand back in there. No, like right. You learn that hurts, avoid it. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it's more for men than women, but I think, I think generally speaking, back to sweeping statements, but I think mm. women talk more with yeah. their friends, with their with their mums and parents, whatever, about mm. emotions. And I think men tend to be a bit more shut down. Men don't get down the pub. Yeah, they're better at handling yeah. their emotions. And I think yeah. this is the thing. So what your point was kind of saying was that actually emotions are good, even the raw emotions. Mm. And I think, you know, it's acknowledging that those emotions are okay to feel but it's doing something about it. That's the key thing. What mm. is this emotion telling me, even if I'm feeling depressed or low? Mm, where yeah. is it guiding me here? Yeah. And it's asking yourself those questions. And I think some 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 men, we bring back to the to the, the, the male issue here, is that they don't want to feel the emotion. They don't no, want to get no. in tune with what you've just said True. there. I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. I'm not even going to feel that. That person yeah. hurt me. I'll move on. Yeah. I'll take it out on somebody else. And that over time that builds because they're not dealing with their emotions. But really what should happen is you feel the emotions. Yeah, yeah. And then your action there it's with the relationship to... is maybe to go, well, actually, you know, next time, is it somebody different that I should go for mm. that, you know, aligns with my values maybe. And that's the action then that sees you towards getting what you want. But it's, so it's basically feel the emotion, accept yeah. it, but then yeah. go, okay, well, it's there to tell me something and I need to do something here Let instead of what so this. many men do and they just don't do anything about it. Let me ask you guys this. So as a percentage of all the men you know, if you rang them up and said, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed, whatever, what percentage of them do you think would say, let's talk about it, what percentage would say, let's go down the pub and have a drink? Well, I think if you asked me that about a year ago, the, the, the men... The friends that I used to hang around with is probably zero because all they tended to do was drink and do other stuff. And I've moved away from that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've now created a different kind of friend. So I, I, I think that generally I'm going to challenge it because I, 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 th I think I know we're saying that men don't do that, but I, I actually think there's a lot of men that are capable of more capable of doing this than women. And that sounds a bit controversial because I, I, I think it's a misconception that we, we say that men aren't in tune with their vulnerable side. I actually mm -hmm. think we are, um, but we don't get the opportunity to do it. And I think sometimes women um, are just as bad putting, putting their mask on as well. So in answer to your question, 
not enough is probably the answer. I think or I just saying, get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're upset, but you just need to go and get back in there, go to work again, and just crack get on, on with it. Because we're on. fixers, right? Mm. If it's the whole men yeah. from Mars, women are from Venus things. Yeah. As a man, I like to fix something. Yeah. Somebody comes to me and says, this is broken. Can you yeah. fix my phone? Oh, yeah. Give, me, give it to me and I'll fix it and give it back to you. If they come to me and say, I'm broken, yeah. well, I might mm. not be able to fix you because mm. I can't take that emotion away from you. And I think, I think men struggle to... I think our instinct is to be fixers mm. and to try and... Yeah. And it works if it's a car or if it's a mm. something mechanical. But when it's a, a complex human being, it's almost a bit scary to... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think us three are slightly different to the archetypal man, probably. probably. Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't think that's a, 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 it's not a judgment. I think it's, I, I think we're probably more open than the average man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I put a post out only yesterday. Um, that I don't really like small talk. I prefer to have conversations uh, you, you like this. And, it, and for some people that's a turn off. And some men and women don't like that. I think it's, but I'm not going to, I think that what I don't want to do is, 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 is conform to something that I don't believe in. Mm. So, but I think sometimes people do that for the greater oh. good, and they jump on the bandwagon. And they they say this that, and the other. But deep down, I want to go. I want to go the completely opposite. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I think that's that's unfortunate. I wouldn't want to live my life like that, would you? Absolutely. You know, I think that you know we talked before about purpose, didn't we? Mm. And you know, kind of losing purpose, and actually, I've been in doing something for such a long period of time that I now don't like it. And it's affecting my mood. Mm. I'm feeling depressed. You know, what do you do at that point? Mm. You know, and as a man, you know, who can you talk to at that point? Mm. I think that's the that's the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's getting better generationally? Do you think the younger men are mm. more open to? I think one thing I've noticed just teaching mindfulness is slightly sweeping statement again, but the older the person, if we're talking men specifically, yeah. the older the man, the more. Oh fuck off! That's woo woo. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. The younger the man is like, well, why wouldn't I look after my mental health? Absolutely. I'm going to the gym. I'm trying to eat well. So yeah, yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. I mean, if I think about my my dad, one of the things my dad said to him about his childhood is he wasn't allowed a teddy bear. So his dad wouldn't let him have a teddy bear right, okay. just for girls. It's, yeah, it's right. Like you don't have cuddly things. You're a tough. Mm. You're a tough guy. Mm. I was allowed them. And it's almost like as the generations come down, we're chipping away a little bit away. I wonder if, you know, wars yeah. and stuff have to do with it as well, because, you know, yeah. if you've been through World, World War. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, don't, don't complain about being a bit sad or a bit 100%. anxious. Do you know what? I was, in, I was fighting for your bloody freedom. Yeah. Like, yeah it's like yeah. half of yeah. my mates died at war. Yeah. So let's just yeah. get yeah, on yeah, with yeah. it. Yeah. So there's, there's yeah. that you know, whole People pressure. just wanted to get on with things, didn't they? They want, <clears> didn't want to keep talking about it. So mm. gradually, I think you're right. I think gradually... That silent generation, I suppose, is the opposite now, where people are being more open. But I still think there's so many people who don't think they can be truly open and honest about how they feel and oh, what they want to do, and they feel trapped. I think that's ultimately it with a lot of men. I feel that's, a lot of men. That's, feel that's the fear of judgment, and it's a fear of what other people think. I think yeah. that's that's the, we've all got that, haven't we? To an extent, I think we, you know, we'd sooner go along with the Joneses or keep up with the Joneses or, or copy someone else for fear of being who we really are. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a sad state of affairs, really, in this current, current society. But, I mean, if, if I knew what I... This is an agile statement, isn't it? If I knew then what I knew now, I'd be... But we don't. We can't change the clock. But, mm. I mean, I've talked about myself being a different person. What about, what about you both? I mean, you talked about being in some scrapes or being in some trouble and stuff like that. Um, how, how, I'll ask this question to you both. How do you think that... What's been the biggest difference to you now compared to what you were back then do you think well i'll go first i I think looking back i was really quite insecure probably when you first asked me that question actually 16 to 23 you know i i I, I used to think no yeah i used to think that people didn't like me and Mm -hmm. i think i used to immediately assume that they would have a problem with me or something and it was just yeah, no, I know that. Now. I know that. <laughs> don't, don't tell him on yeah, podcast. No, no, I think you mentioned it before going on that question of like, actually your value is self-love. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. I've been on that 100% and actually not, you know, these kind of, um, I don't know where that comes from, but this feeling of actually somebody's got a problem with me or some, some, somewhere, yeah. somewhere down the line, yeah. this person's not going to like me. And it was just based off complete rubbish, really. You know, it's based off, I don't know whether that's a fear that's based off or negative inner chatter. 
And mm. really for me, I suppose my confidence changed when I moved to London 100% because then I was around people like me and then I, I was performing and it was, you know, there was kind of, I don't know, the sales aspect, earning money, yeah. part of the job which you've been through as well. Mm. And I think there was a real sea change with me where I just started to go, do you know what? I just need to back myself here and be responsible for my own happiness and right. well-being and ditch that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I suppose that's, that's really where that, that, that shift came in there. Certainly from yeah. a career perspective, my experience I, with burnout, you know, was, was a yeah. massive thing, which I think, turned I think, my I world think, upside down, you know, so. I know you need, thanks for that. I know you need to answer the question as well, Steve, but I want to interject with another question as well. Mm. I think that your other halves have play a key role in your lives as well. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes men underestimate the importance of having a good woman by your side as well. And I want to talk about how that's helped and affected you as well. Because on the flip side, if you've got the wrong partner, that can have detrimental effects as well. So you've got to answer both questions of that question as well. I don't know if you want yeah. to interject. Well, um, yeah, my, my partner, Sean, I mean, she's absolutely amazing, you know, in many respects. And mm. she is, you know, so supportive of me. And like I said before, you know, with that burnout episode with where you're facing, you've got this career and everyone looks at you as this recruitment person and you're aspirational. You're the yeah. one who's doing really well. And you, you're, you're all of a sudden going to say, well, actually I'm rejecting that. I'm not doing well. Yeah. And I suppose with, I suppose what you were alluding to before, which was quite interesting was do, do women value money, um, houses, career, you know, security, I suppose maybe security. What Sean, well, I know what Sean loves about me because she's, she's told me is that resolve and that resilience. Of, mm. I won't just, I won't give up. Mm. And she finds that. And I suppose mm. I only know that because she's very clear about that with me. Mm. She finds that attractive in oh, me. That's great. So, you know, and I suppose that is, is the challenge for many men, I suppose, in relationships, they just don't understand what, I suppose, what it is, who it is that they need to be. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the question I want to ask you then is, why are you doing what you're doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing in my business? In your life, in your business. So why I do what I do now is because of my experience, because I knew at the time that I needed somebody like me. I needed somebody to speak to. Got you, right. And at the time, mm. okay, maybe if I really searched for it on LinkedIn or Google, there was a coach who probably could have helped me. But I just didn't really feel that that was, that was available. I think it's really important that, you know, men have, men and women, I, I, I coach men and women. Yeah, I yeah. I'm not specific around coaching men. Yeah. But the reason why I do it is that I just, I just really hate to see people in jobs that they don't like. Mm. And I hate that that affects their mental well-being. That's ultimately why, why I, I exist. That's my purpose, to enable people to transform their lives through these meaningful mm. conversations. That's really powerful, man. You know? Mm. So you're kind of your own superhero. You're the coach that you've always needed. And, and, and by being that person, you're being the best version of yourself to yourself and to your community as well. There you go. Mm. Amazing. Because I, I bottled it, really. Um, I only left IBM because they made me redundant. Right. So I was just, when you were saying that then, I was just reflecting, thinking, if they kept me on and I tried, I was I clung to that wreckage as long as I could. Yeah. I was I was desperate to stay there because I'd been there my entire life, didn't know anything else but, you know, from the age of 18. Yeah. But I was thinking, what would it have taken for me to actually have the courage to leave and go, I'm not enjoying this anymore? Mm. Do you I reckon you would have done that? I'm not sure I would, mate. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's and good, you can talk good to about, admit that. You can talk about, you know, karma and coincidence and mm. stuff that happens in your life. Mm. I'm genuinely really, really grateful they did make me redundant because mm. honestly, it was the greatest thing. Wow. And sitting here, I, I honestly probably would still be working for them if they would have me. Mm -hmm. which would be a massive shame because if I then fast forward to lying on my deathbed, I'd be thinking, why didn't you go and do that? Why didn't you follow your heart? Your head ruled you just so much. Mm. It's the chat, isn't it? It's the head saying safe job, corporate pension, healthcare. Yeah. And it's saying, don't, don't go out on your own. Cause you won't, you know, you won't find mm. any clients. You won't be able to make a living. And your heart's screaming inside saying, mm. please, can we do something so that when it, when you get to your yeah. you know, deathbed, you can lie back and go, is a life well lived. That's my test now. So Don't you, give a crap about cars. You, you strike me as someone now who, um, I'm guessing a little bit 
but I'm normally right, not all the time. <laughs> um, you're a lot more self-aware, a lot more kind of self-accountable, a lot more honest with yourself. Whereas yeah. before, it was a bit like you knew you were kidding yourself, but you did it anyway. Yeah, hundred percent. And I and I knew, and other people knew. And if you look at what happened towards the last five years of me at IBM, hmm. if not longer, I was I was already hatching my escape, right? But just very gently. Yeah. You know, I was bringing mindfulness in there. I was studying mm. at Oxford to, to find the best teachers and mm. learning my trade because part of my brain knew, you know, there's sort of 5% of my brain that was saying, come on, we got to, we got to go and do something we really love now. Mm. And the rest of it was going, no, 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 it's too risky. It's too risky. Can't mm. Isn't it funny? It doesn't matter whether mine's deemed as more traumatic or different or bigger than yours. So your redundancy forced you, I think, to look into yourself and yeah. do this. And my, what happened to me is kind of like that horrible situation. It kind of like, I look back on myself and I can blame situations and circumstances. A lot of it was unfortunate, but I'm also a common denominator here. You know, I, this, I, I think um, accountability for me and, and self-awareness has been one of the biggest transformational pieces in, in, in my life. Certainly if you used to ask me the same question I asked you and I'm still, I'm still learning that. And I think that, um, also the, I like this, this, the saying two men look through the prison bars, one man saw mud, the other saw stars. I think you also get a choice where no matter what, what's happened to you, you still got a choice of how you respond to that. And that's a common mm. saying. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it? Cause how do you choose? That takes a lot of work. I think mm. if you've spent two, three, four decades, yeah. Oh my where, God. Where yeah. the mantra in your head is to see the negative and the voice in your head is a negative one and it says, you can't do this and you shouldn't do this and that's too risky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah you yeah. can't just look at the stars and go, oh shit, there are stars there. I'm going to just look at them exclusively now because you're drawn to the mud all the time. Mm. And it takes work. And people, it's what infuriates me on social media. It's these little sound bites with no depth and no context sure, that say, sure. well, just choose to be happy then. I mean, Jesus, there'd be, yeah. there'd be no one in the world on antidepressants oh, if you could just choose to be happy, right? Mm. It also doesn't yeah. happen. Even when you do do that and do some action it, it, it takes decades right you unwire if, it all let alone re, then you've got to rewire it then you've got to put it into action yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and if you try to do the opposite this is why yeah. you know this is probably back to why so many men are struggling mm. it's because if men think that they can just have a choice to be happy and they're, and they're pretending they're to be happy and deep down they're not that's what a lot of people do though bigger conflict that's what a lot of people do they put on a brave face they go down the pub they spend all their wages at the weekend and then they go on sunday they get the, the monday blue and it's just a perpetual yeah. cycle isn't yeah, it? yeah 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 so then you think well I'm, i must be the weird one now because everyone else can choose to be happy and i can't and what's the point mm. Mm. what um what techniques can we offer the audience or guidance? Because when, when we give advice on mental health or this kind of stuff, I always caveat it and say, um, this isn't a general rule. It's what's worked for me and it's what's worked for some of my clients. It means that the, the, the people have got to find their own way. But mm. in terms of dealing with um, anxious thoughts or, or feelings of inadequacy or unworthiness, what, 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 what can we all contribute to, to give uh, advice on, if you want, around? For me... Having a routine has been very helpful to me. Uh, exercise. I know, I know these are quite high level stuff, but yeah. even, if, even if you're doing a walk, um, but also um, meditation has helped me a lot as well. Mm. Um, there's, there's two or three things for me, but I want to delve deeper into that. But you, you got, you guys, you guys offer some, some advice around. Yeah. So, that. well, Inner dialogue is a core part of the work that I do mm. and help people to become aware that they have, um, you know, they have control over their inner dialogue and they don't need to let thoughts run away with them. You just mentioned meditation there, which is a great tool for reducing the inner chatter. The reason why I got into meditation back in the day is that when I was in, rec in recruitment and managing staff, I'd get back on a Friday night and I'd sit down in front of the TV with a glass of wine. And I'm like, I can hear my consultant's voice in my head as I'm trying to uh, watch the TV. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, that is not, that's not normal. Mm -hmm. What's going on well, it here? it probably is normal. It probably is normal. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's normal if you, yeah. if you, if you leave it. Mm. So I got into meditation and started to realize, okay, well, this is these thoughts and, you know, you can dissolve these thoughts by mindfulness, which you're far more qualified to, uh, to talk about than me, but uh, Steve, but one, I know one person we both have shared an interest in is Kristen Neff. Mm. And you've read uh, some stuff on crystal. I thought you said crystal meth. Uh, crystal meth. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. That's, no, that's not going to help. That's the next next week. Um, so Kristen Neff talks about there being two voices 
at part with each other. And if you read The Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters, he yeah. talks about the chimp versus the human. And um, if you've read Thinking Fast and F Slow, it talks about system one and system two. So basically, it's acknowledging that you've got two forces as part of you. You've got this emotional mm. reactive chimp-based part of you. Yeah, mind. of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is always there to react and to protect you, but can go into overdrive at times of stress. And that's when that will that thinking will turn you, you know, to start to say that, oh, no, you can't, don't leave um, IBM. You won't get another job. If you set your own business up, you'll fail straight away. Mm. That's your overreactive, fear-based part of your mind clicking in there. Okay. And what it's, it, Kristen Neff points out is about really acknowledging that you've got this compassionate side of you as well, which is self-loving, which it sounds mm. like you've really lent into, Chris, mm -hmm. as one of your values. And it's having a good knock-on effect, which is great. Yeah. Now, if you can calm that voice down or acknowledge it or work with the chimp and say, okay, yeah, you've just said that my business is going to fail or you can't leave IBM. Okay. You've mm. had you say reactive fear-based part of you, which you're there to yeah. help me. Yeah. But what would the compassionate part of me say, the rational part of me, if I just yeah. calmed down and I just said, did a few breaths or I did a bit of journaling, what would that say? Well, actually it might say that, you know, you can live, uh, you can set a business up um, that's based around mindfulness because you're great at it and there's an opportunity to do it. Yeah. And if you tried your hardest, you know, and you worked every single day and researched in your field, you might get to where you want to go. Mm. You know, it's speaking, and that would be what, from what you said before around that more logical part of you yeah. coming through. And I think really for the listeners, it's about acknowledging that there's two voices. You're not really either. You're probably more the logical part of you. And actually, typically, what, the way I explain this to my clients is that the logical, um, compassionate part of you is almost like an untrained muscle that hasn't been to the gym in a long time. Yeah, You need to practice being kind to yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you do it over time, you'll... Become I, strong at it. I, I love that. I also would say that one of the techniques that I use in that situation is, is that really true? Is this really true? I kind of treat it almost like as if, as if mm. I'm in a courtroom and I'm, I'm quizzing that person and say, well, okay, you made that statement, but give, where's the evidence of that and that kind of stuff? Because I, I, I'm, really I'm of the belief that um, the majority of our thoughts aren't necessarily our actual thoughts. Mm. And I know that Steve, you're quite big on that. And I think you're right. And people were like, oh, what? You mean they're facts rather than not thoughts? Say again. You mean most most thoughts aren't facts? What did I say? You said most thoughts aren't thoughts. Okay, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> most, honestly, no, yeah, most, most thoughts aren't our, our own thoughts, I, I would I would suggest, as in they're, 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 they're filtered or indoctrinated in from something or somewhere. And actually, yes. the, the reality of that isn't isn't the reality. Mm. Yeah. What do you think to that, guys? Yeah, 100%. It's this, when I say this kind of stuff, it sounds makes me sound like a weirdo, but... Mm. To say, I think, we all go around saying, I think this, I think that. Mm. Most people aren't thinking. Most people are being thought. Yeah. And you can test that. Anyone listening to this can yeah. test that. Yeah. Just be quiet and allow your mind to think. It's like a cloud anyway. It goes anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. And just yeah. see what comes up and you won't yeah. know what comes up. Yeah. Any sort of yeah. random stuff. And it'll be a product of your conditioning. It'll be that repetitive. But but also sometimes, it, this, this can sound quite weird. Like if, if, if you've had a drink or you've eaten some food that can affect your, your um, nervous system or you haven't exercised, you haven't slept properly, all these thoughts and feelings can intensify. Yeah. And then if you don't do that, it, it's almost like I think it, they can be exacerbated, you know, from outside influences anyway, that kind of stuff, right? Mm. This, this is why the most fundamental thing, and this has been the next thing, weird thing I'm going to say is, if, if there's one thing you learn in meditation, it's that there's something beyond your thinking mind. Absolutely right. Yeah, of course. And, and uh, you are the awareness that sees these thoughts, whether it's a beautiful, calm voice saying, Chris, you're the most amazing oh, person in the world. Totally. Or whether it's saying, Chris, you're a piece of shit. That which observes both of those yeah. things is really your true essence. And I, I, without getting too woo, -woo I, you'll understand this, but I've, I've done some something called astral projection. You may have heard that where I've been driving on my car on the motorway and I've, 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 imagined myself out of my body and I've watched myself drive the car. People don't think that's crazy, really? but I think, I think you, you can, you can step out of your own body and vessel and, and observe yourself when you start, when you can do that, I think that's, that, that's the work for me as well. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. But, but that comes with a good. huge, with a massive, wow. yeah. massive benefit. Like I remember yeah. a real harm moment for me. Yeah. I was watching this great mindfulness teacher guy called John Cabazin and he was talking about anxiety, depression, really strong, heavy emotions. And mm. he said, he said this thing like, if we could, if we're all agreed that fundamentally we're the awareness beyond the thoughts, so we're the awareness of our experience rather than these things. Like everything else is transient, right? Yeah. The job comes and goes. Mm. You'll call Chris, but that's not your identity either. Yes. Your job can't yeah, be I've your seen identity. That stuff. 
possessions yeah. can't be identity. So there's one thing that holds true for you always. And if you, the, the great thing that John Kabat-Zinn said was, he said, awareness of anxiety isn't anxious. Hmm. I love awareness that. I love that. of fear isn't scared. Yeah. Mm. And if you can tap in, That's the so way true, you mate. tap into that awareness, mm. if you can be that point of awareness, it's a difference. Yeah. The analogy I love is like, it's a difference between being out in the middle of a storm getting really, really wet or being in a house watching the storm. Well, it's a bit like sometimes people say, I'm nervous. I'm nervously excited. Like when you go on to do something at stage, you can be you can be nervous, but also you can be you can turn that into excitement yeah. as well. So anxious doesn't mean need to be, oh, I'm shitting myself, I'm shaking. Anxious yeah. could be... Oh, actually, this is quite a nice yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. I think you think you can almost well, manifest it. Pretty slim on her, aren't they? Yeah, and it's, it, it can be a fine line, though, can't it? Yeah, it can. Well. It can. <laughs> on, on on feelings and emotions, then. Um, I think I'm going to ask a question that I need to answer myself. I can't just answer, I'll ask you questions. You can ask me the same question. I've never even answered this question. It's, not, it's a long build-up to a question, isn't it? <laughs> it better be good after all. God, I better ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 really scares you? That's a good question. That's a tough question. That's a yeah. tough Told question. You. What really scares me? I think for me, it would be what really scares me is going back to that those moments of feeling like, you know, it, it, I suppose doing something in a career which just wasn't me, you know, and not mm. being, and we talked about identity. I always felt there was two versions of me. Right. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. The, in, the, in the old career. What type of version? I thought there was a work Tom. And there was an outside of work, Tom, and I yeah. hated that for a long time. And I was aware of it, but I didn't know what to do with it. So that mm. would probably be my 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 fear of going back to that place. I love the fact that I can just be authentically myself now. With you know, we talked about values before. One of my values is personal development, mm. and I get to live that every single day. Beautiful, you know, because I I do that with my clients. It's their personal development. Mm. Nice. You know, my job is personal development. I have to learn, you know, it's it, everything is about learning. So therefore I'm happy. Whereas before, you know, I, I was kind of in these these positions where I wasn't learning anything. It's so frustrating. So yeah, that would be my my fear or my, you know, thing that I don't mm. want to go back to, yeah. I think mine's, mine's similar. I think mine would be to be lying on my deathbed thinking you never really tried what you wanted to try. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very similar to me, but carry on. And that's why I'm really happy doing what I'm doing now. Because yeah. if I died tomorrow, um, I'd have loved the last four years. Mm. I'd sooner regret something I've done that I haven't done. And I think on that point, I've mentioned this quite a few times, and I'm going to bloody sort it out. I mentioned it on Dion Slater's podcast, where I made a commitment to her that I'm going to do it. So I applied for a TED Talk yesterday. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I've got this massive phobia uh, of standing on stage and everyone that said to me if I did a, a talk on stage or blow people away so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I do that my, my mm. fear is a not sort of fulfilling my potential in that regard but also it used to be for some reason even though I do my LinkedIn thing I, I'm a, I'm a ex-CEO and I go into businesses and kick ass to directors and I can manage that and hold board meetings be on podcast my podcast host do this kind of stuff i'm very comfortable sitting down but the concept of me standing up on is stage being above somebody else it's okay. a really bizarre thing even though i do crave the likes and the comments and a lot let's be honest <laughs> let's be honest um and I, that tells me i've still got some work to do but my, what scares me is just being embarrassed and ridiculed and making a fool of myself for yeah. some reason what, but what is that so if that's the fear what's the belief behind that fear I love an impromptu coaching session on a, on a podcast. Um, Sorry, no, I love it. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, let's, 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 un, let's let's unpick me. Let's find out what is the. What, I don't know. Is it is it does it stretch back? To, does it stretch back to my mum leaving me? Does it stretch back to all the other stuff I've, I've talked yeah. about? Maybe there's even if it's irrational. Even I, if it's I don't know. I've, what would worst case scenario be, Chris? So yeah. would it be hmm. going blank? Your brain drops into your ass and you're up in front of a TED talk and the, the audience is there. Everyone's watching, cameras yeah. are on, and you're like, I think so. It, ha it happened Shit, to, me, it happened to me fairly recently at a client site up in Newcastle where I was their chairman and we we're doing this big presentation. The CEO handed it over to me. I was in front of the whole fucking company and I literally just froze. Mm. And then I walked out and I got all embarrassed. Right. It was, and it's just like, but then I've been a best man at my own, I've been a best man at my own wedding. No, I've that done a speech good. at my own wedding. Yeah. Um, what's the root cause? I think it's, Tell us more about the Newcastle thing. So how did that end for you? 
they understood it and they they, they did they just and then afterwards we had lunch and we had the word laughs they just said mate don't worry it's your human being and they're all really yeah. cool about it in fact yeah. in fact i was i ended up quite I, I endeared them because they, they like they saw the vulnerability so that, let's push this then yeah. so, so worst case scenario has happened for you mm. and it probably wasn't as bad as you thought and you almost turned it around yeah and i think my good mate Eckhart Tolle, who I watched thousands of hours of, right? He almost says, if you're, because people have written into him and said, I'm terrified of public speaking, I'm terrified. And he says, if you name that, I'm yeah, not saying yeah, start yeah, your yeah. TED talk yeah. with it, but maybe maybe even before they press record, if you said, I'm really yeah. nervous to be up in front of you here yeah, on Tuesday, own it. Or the crowd would be like, oh, thank God, because I'd, I'd be too scared yeah, to even get up right. there, Chris. You're right. Absolutely. Because I think that's that's actually spot on because I think where I went wrong as a CEO, I, I put my suit on and became, like you did, I became a like you did Tom, I became a different person and actually I, I, I gave off this stoic confident individual and mm. take my suit off I was just like you know and yeah. I think that and that's about authenticity so yeah. when I'm doing the TED talk it's not I'm not going to be all polished I'm probably going to wear what I want, jeans and t-shirt and just be myself and be nervous and be myself yeah. and that's it because that's yeah. what people want anyway right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course so. And sometimes that fear may be just if you actually named the belief, it may be that, mm. you know, for whatever reason, I feel like everybody is going to, you know, abandon me. Right. People are just going to uh. turn, stand up and they're going to leave. Uh. And then when you you express that and you're like, that's bollocks. Well, <laughs> that's that rubbish. Was, that would yeah. really fit with your childhood though, wouldn't that, it? That, that, yeah, I think yeah maybe, that is. maybe that is. How much do you charge for services? Like oh, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send you my details. <laughs> no, but do you see yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? So it's not, yeah. it's going, okay, I have a fear, mm. but what is the belief behind that yeah, fear? Absolutely. The limiting belief. And even if it is a load yeah. of rubbish, you just said it to, to yourself. Well, my fear is that mm. you know, this, people are going to work out and yeah. no one's going to be interested. Well, actually, no, that's not the case. Really, is it? So, um, have we got any questions we want to ask each other? This is completely free for all. How, you know, free for all. You two know each other better than penalty, extra time and penalties. <laughs> no, I, I, I think we, we, we've covered things like, I mean, I, I want to talk about maybe the stigma of, I mean, you, I think you've badged yourself as a life coach. Yeah. I, I've, yeah, I've, yeah. I've called myself a life coach in the past. And then for some reason thought that was a bit, I think people, I don't, now I don't care what people think, but I think the, the stigma of what, I think sometimes the stigma of what we are mm. doing with life coaches and forms or meditation experts or mindfulness or whatever we're doing. I think a lot of people, you know, dismiss us as, as uh, I, th I think it's such a powerful profession actually mm. that we've got. And I'm, I'm very proud of what we, what we do in, in our own individual rights, but I just mm. wanted to sort of get your thoughts on, there's a lot of people also, there's a lot of people flooding the market claiming to be mindfulness experts or life coaches and they yeah, just- burnout coaches. They've, yeah, read, they've read a book or whatever and that's it, you know. <laughs> so what's your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I, I, I had the same reservations actually when I first started because she's like, who's he to tell me about my life? But the key <laughs> thing is I'm a coach. I'm asking questions. I'm not actually telling you about your life at all. Yeah. You know, so I think that's the, that's the first misconception. And really, mm. you know, I suppose I'm career and life and the two go together for me, you know, you, know yeah. if you can integrate the two. Like we've just said, we were two different people, yeah. you know, one person in work, one person out of work. And that, that can't go on, surely can't go on forever. If you're doing something that you're, you know, you're not passionate about or you're XYZ. Yeah. So yeah, I think from a stigma perspective, from a life coach, I think it you could take this one step further because in America, it's a lot more accepted to have a therapist, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of, course, of people yeah. have therapists. It's the mm. norm. Whereas if you said, I have a therapist to your family, <laughs> they go, Christ, what's wrong is he all right? What's wrong yeah, with yeah. you? And I think that's that stigma still exists with therapy and maybe with coaching as well. I, I still think it's a very new thing. It's very, very rare that I meet somebody or coach somebody mm. who's experienced coaching before. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What do you think, Steve? So I've got a massive, almost a paranoia about breaking down stigmas around mindfulness and meditation. I hate the words. I mm. try not. If you, if anyone comes on my mindfulness course, I, I don't even define these words until week three because for me it's all about experience. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, One yeah, of my yeah. favourite mantras: nobody ever got fit by listening to a talk on fitness. No. And you don't, you don't get fit by believing in fitness. So. Mm. I, 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 I do, agree. I know, this, I know this, these are translations that have stuck, but for me, I spend so much time, I kind of, without sounding too sort of sycophantic about it, I, I just want to help people feel better. Mm. If you want to mm. call that meditation, if you want to call that mindfulness, mm. that is the tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need to know that. It's like giving somebody a lovely cake and them going, beautiful cake, don't care how what was in it, don't care yeah. how you made it, but it tasted yeah. great. Mm. And if I can get people past that, oh, meditation, mindfulness, I don't do that. That's, that's for weirdos. That's like, mm. Mm. 
or that's for soft people or weak people. Mm. Once we get past that, everyone's like, Jesus, the most normal thing in the world. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I'm more paranoid the most about, that's probably my niche, I suppose, is just to try to get these people that otherwise would avoid it or wouldn't even try it. Yeah. Just come with me for a little bit and let's just see. Yeah. And let's drop the labels. Let's drop all the woo-woo. Let's drop everything else. And we'll just see how it is for you. And if you love it, great. Yeah, because I've, I've, I think um, I've noticed your following increase on LinkedIn, Steve, and your, your, your posts are getting great traction. And I think your confidence has improved, if, if, if I may say so. Yeah. Talk to us about the, the last sort of couple of years. I think you've got kind of blossomed in that regard. How's that journey been? What's that been like for you? I think the biggest thing that happened was, so I came for, for most of all my adult working life, I was in IBM. I didn't realize till afterwards how heavy a burden I carried on top of my head. So I, I was an IBM, so I'm representing IBM wherever I go. Right. And even when I was talking about mindfulness, I'm still talking within IBM. Okay. Mm. Even if customers are there, still, I still am an IBM, yeah, yeah. and IBM talks like this, and he doesn't, he's not too cheeky, and he doesn't <laughs> really swear in it. And then I went from IBM, I did a bit of work for University of Oxford's Mindfulness Center and taught, mm. taught IBM, as ironically. Mm-hmm. But then I was representing their brand, which is a very austere, um, brilliant brand. But I, I found both brands a little bit limiting, if I'm honest, just yeah. because I felt like I couldn't really be me. Yeah. And when I when I just did the work for myself, now I'm out there and I just think, do you know what? I do need to repel people as much as I attract them because if we're really going to do great things together, mm. it has to work for both of us. Yeah. And the freedom of doing that, I think, has come through in my posts i'm not okay. i'm only Got representing you. me yeah if yeah. you love me you're not constrained now if you don't, yeah okay. yeah yeah we're all we're all kind of similar ages i think tom you're probably the youngest or you certainly look the youngest do i thank he's you he's 60 then, isn't he? 38 next week it's, uh, i still think i've got, got the better beard though <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm not joining that i get that in there i'm 50 and i still can't are you 50 i'm yeah. 47 how old are you 38 fucking i wish i was 38 he's in his prime isn't he steve he is yeah um, we're all kind of middle-aged men, apart from you, Tom. Um, <laughs> do, 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 you, do you ever get thoughts about, oh, you know, I, I, I'm 47, but I, I'm, most of the time I feel like 17 in my head. But mm. sometimes do you, do you feel like, oh, you're behind where you should be? Do you have any, any of those kind of thoughts? I think sometimes I think men and women have this, not just, but I think sometimes I've, I've kind of stopped thinking like that. But sometimes sort of approaching 50, you think, God, I'm, you know, time's ticking on as well. It, You've, you look very good for uh, 47. Mate. I was waiting for that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear this all the time from people. I feel like I've wasted the last five or 10 yeah. years or I'm yeah. wasting my time. Yeah. And it's it, it, I suppose it's that time perception when actually they're not. They're completely in control of their time. Yeah. And they've got loads more time to go. Yeah. And But maybe it's that they're in situations whereby, you know, um, I suppose, sorry, the question was on me, wasn't it, about whether I think I'm, I, I've wasted time I, did, I think the thing for me on time, and maybe you'll resonate with this story, Chris, is in recruitment, there was this tale that would go when you started, this director retired when they were 40. Yeah. You know that one? And yeah, everyone was told it and everyone was like, yeah, I could retire at 40. And for me, I got to a point, I was like, well, what if I want to do work after I'm 40? Mm. What do I do after then? Surely that would be boring. And I don't want to just want to be slogging my guts out to a point where I could retire at 40. And clearly I wasn't going to be able to retire at 40 um, in something that I didn't like doing. So I think, you know, I think there is that perception of time with, okay, what determines for me, I suppose me and my wife now believe that we've got yeah. jobs where we could do, I could coach people until I die. That's you know, it's a skill true. that I love to do. It's like maybe cutting someone's hair. You could do that until yeah. you die. You know, you, yeah. my wife is an illustrator. She can paint pictures until she, you know, it's something that's in her that she just loves to do. Mm. So maybe that's, maybe that's it. Maybe that helps you then feel like, you know, you can just keep going on with your work and have mm, more purpose behind what you're doing. That's really interesting. But it's very common what you say there. Yeah. Definitely with people. Yeah, it happens a lot. What, what about you on that point, Steve? So I went from, I posted about this on LinkedIn fairly recently. I went from being in my 40s, almost counting the days to retirement, mm. to now thinking, what is retirement? I, in fact, it's weird because I, I almost feel semi-retired now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Part timer yeah. <laughs> yeah. in the gym. <laughs> <at 10 laughs> well, not not in terms of the lack like the lack of working hours, but in terms yeah. of yeah, yeah. I think this is what I do. Right. Yeah. I, you, you've kind of find your calling almost, haven't you? In a yeah, way. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's quite nice. It, it feels nice. I mean, I, I'm working harder than ever. 
mm. I work, do work really, really hard. Mm. But it doesn't feel like an onerous chore, hard work. It feels like passionate work. And I think I think mm. you get more energy when you're doing passionate work. Yeah. No, absolutely. Still got to not overdo it too much. And I still try and take a lot of breaks. And Yeah. So do you, do you, you, you both got partners, wives, or whatever. Did you find that you, t- you, you're able to, you might not, might not want to say this, but that you're able to talk to your other half, um, or do you talk to friends or, you know, when you want to open yourself up, is, is your partner there for you or not? Or do you feel like, um, cause men, I think men can go to their partners sometimes, but do you have friends that you talk to as well? How, how does that play out? Cause we're, we're, we're all three of us, I think. I'm just an open book. I just tell my story literally for the first person I meet. I just, I, I'm almost a bit too much, but talk to us about, about that. How I talk. Yeah. So me, I mean, me and Sean both run our own businesses mm. and we promote our businesses through social media. So she's right. got 20,000 followers on Instagram. Oh, wow. Okay. You can check her out if you want. Sean Alexia illustrations. Mm-hmm. She's great. But we both have those kind of, you know, you're working for yourself. So there's not another five people doing the same thing that you're doing. And then you can go, oh God, how's the market? Uh, right. LinkedIn's a bit quiet. So yeah. you don't have so you don't have that. So what but what we do have is we we ha- we share that in common so we can talk to each other about when we're having highs, when we're having lows, and we can share that that experience, which is powerful. Mm. That um, must be really kind of reassuring to, to to have that kind of foundation around you, I think. I think Yeah, but you wouldn't I wouldn't have that I, I mean you obviously you you speak to your mates about certain things, but they don't get it because yeah. they're not in that world, which is yeah. why it's great to meet you guys today because we're all, we share so much in common around yeah. the social side of things. We all work mm. for ourselves, you yeah. know, and that comes with its own individual. And most people don't work in this way, do they? Yeah. No. The reason, the reason why I asked that, I think that I always used to say that you don't need anyone to make you happy. And I, I think that's true to an extent, but I've now come to a point where, I think it's really important that you do have a co-pilot actually. And maybe it's just, you need somebody to talk to. Mm. So, you know, and coming back to the men thing, it's just the not talking thing. Mm. It's the, I'm going to put a brave face on it. I'm going to deny how I feel. So you've got no, neither of you got no qualms about being really open with your other half. No. That's good. Not for me. I I think if we're talking about the sort of male friends thing as well, I think one of the sad things for me is that probably the guys I know have known the longest, in some ways I'm the least open with. Seriously, right, okay. Mm. So I'm probably more open with you, Chris, and we met, when did we meet in the flesh, a year and a half ago? Something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Than someone I've been mates with since I was 10 or less. Mm. And it's almost like I've, you develop these relationships as a man where, well, I will open up deeply about you because you're going to get it. You're going to get it and you've kind of suffered similar or greater or lesser to me mm. and you've got other people that are really great friends but they're just mm. not going to get it and that that would be the difference between whether i open up to them or not and maybe i've tra- tested the water a little bit but open up to them yeah and they don't shut me down but there's just it just fizzles do you know what i mean it's like a yeah. mm. it's like a firework that just, just mm. whereas well, when you meet people like you guys i think yeah. okay there's there's this bond here yeah where we want to talk about it we can talk about it absolutely and that's powerful but it's fairly few and far between in my friends i mean if i think about all my mates at ibm there probably would have been one yeah yeah that i would have spoken to i think mm. we, unfortunately i think we kind of run out of time I, I i think this has been a very powerful session not just the, the content and the type of topics we discovered but I, we've talked about but i think i'm hopeful men and women will look at this and think fuck okay it's okay to actually talk about these things and it's it's a nice thing to do and kind of hopefully we can encourage more of these kind of conversations i think it's been i can't thank you guys enough i think it's been absolutely awesome have you guys got any kind of anything any closing statements you want to say to to the to the audience about how wonderful you are or whatever <laughs> i don't know how wonderful i am but i yeah i'm, I'm kind of encouraged and the other thing i'm mad into sports so i i think the first indication that a man could be vulnerable in sport for me was Gascoigne. Oh yeah, God! Yeah. When he, what a when player! He, when he cried, and yeah. and almost every man in the country, whether you're a Spurs fan or not, yeah, kind of resonated with that. Okay, that's beautiful. That's and true. since then, it's been nice, right? Because so many young kids and young boys look up to these superheroes, and and the more Tyson Furies and yes. Raheem Sterling's mm. and everything else that come out and go, do you know what? I struggle with this. Delhi Ali, mm. yeah, Delhi Ali was help. amazing, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm encouraged yeah. by that. I think I, I don't think we had them. I mean, Gascoigne sticks in my mind so much. Mm. That was quite a rare thing, then, wasn't it? 
Absolutely. You, absolutely. Didn't, you didn't burst into tears on a football pitch, Christ. God, that was, um, I think, I think that was a, for want of a better term, a, 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 people underestimate that. What watershed moment that was, yeah, actually. Very yeah. unusual to yeah, see yeah, that yeah. In, a, in a high-level sports man. Absolutely. It was a World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah mate, yeah. So millions we, of people. We were so unlucky in that semi-final, weren't we? Unbelievable. Yeah, don't go there. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Good point, conversation. Though. Yeah, I think that, you know, the key thing is, is so my experience with coaching is that people say I hear this a lot is that yeah you're not emotionally involved it's great to talk to you I can just say this mm. there's no repercussions and so as, I suppose the point is really is that if you are suffering from mental well-being pro problems career problems life problems whatever it is don't think that you're only limited to speaking to your partner Absolutely. or your mates you're not. You can go and speak to professionals, whether that's a therapist, yes. a counsellor, a coach, whoever it is, yeah. because that that's person is not emotionally involved, yeah, but they'll yeah. be able to give really good advice and they'll be able to listen to that's you. So true. And you may get to where you want to go quite yeah. quickly. And if anything, you probably feel a bit more freer to do that yeah. and less judged, well, yeah. possibly. And you could go in there and mention your wife or mention your mates, right? Yeah, you can, yeah. And you can slag them off yeah, exactly. if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> what an absolute pleasure I think we should probably do another one in, in six months or 12 months time but Absolutely. can't thank you enough guys thank Thanks you very much cheers Chris thank cheers, you cheers Chris